Let's turn to our Bibles together and tonight to Psalm 56. It's there on the screen, page 571. One of the Psalms of David. And we'll read the whole of the Psalm and we will include the words that um, come at the very beginning before the first verse because they are part of the original text of the Scripture. Psalm 56, addressed to the choir master, according to the dove, on far off terebinths. Terebinths, of course, were very large trees. A miktam of David, whatever a miktam is, we are not sure, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. And David cries out to the Lord, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they've waited for my life. For their crime will they escape in wrath. Cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. That I may walk before God in the light of life. And for our particular text tonight, uh, let me read again verses 3 and 4. David says to God, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? What I feel led to do for a few Sunday evenings, and uh, it's always slightly uncertain when I embark on these series how long they're going to last. Are we talking four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, more than that? I really don't know. But I want to certainly begin by thinking about the theme of fear and encouragement. Fear leading to encouragement. How many of our problems in the Christian life happen because of 
fear because you are afraid, frightened, terrified, worried, anxious, fretful, nervous, scared, paralyzed, discouraged. Because you think something awful is going to happen. Because of thoughts that invade your mind which are altogether unsought after, unwelcome, and uncomfortable. And I feel led to begin to address this theme pastorally as a preacher and pastor. I hold no qualifications in psychology or psychiatry or neurology or any such thing. I do not begin to claim any expertise in any field of that kind. But we come to the Word of God and to these two verses, particularly in Psalm 56 this evening. A psalm where David, as so often, is so very open about the fears that are flooding his whole being and expresses them uninhibitedly in the hearing of God and for us to hear as well. We're listening in on the prayers and cries and tears of a man who is fearful and frightened as he faces his life. And so my first point comes straight from verse 3. When I am afraid, when I am afraid, not if I am afraid, not on the odd occasion that perhaps one day I might be afraid, But when I am afraid, and this is the experience of all of us, is it not? We all know what it is to fear. And our own fears are many and varied. There are fears that we might willingly own up to. We're not ashamed to admit them. Then there are other fears that we might be too embarrassed to own up to. We would feel Awkward about admitting to those fears in any kind of company. I have many fears, right? Many fears. I have a physical fear. A physical fear not so much of heights. I I love being in aeroplanes. I love being up high mountains. But I have a fear of falling, even from a fairly small height. Put me on stepping stones over a river or a pond... Put me on an ice rink, put me even on a stepladder, more than three feet above the ground, and I'm I'm a quivering mass of jelly. I I can't stand that kind of thing. I have other fears. I'm being very uh, vulnerable now, aren't I? On the psychiatrist's couch. Your poor pastor, maybe he should have another layoff and not come back to work till January, this poor chap. You know, he he needs a longer holiday, obviously, than just two or three weeks, but... I have social fears. I have a fear of being made to look a fool in front of people. Hmm, I really, really do. And I have a lot to feel a fool about, (laughs) to be honest. There are many things where I'm extremely ignorant. Maybe you're very different. You don't share my exact fears, but you've got your own fears. Uh, You can go on Google and you can Google phobias. And there are hundreds and thousands 
of phobias that exist. I heard the other day there was a phobia called globophobia. You know what that is? Fear of globes? Well, not quite. Apparently it's a fear of balloons. And you think to yourself, what's strange? How can you be afraid of balloons, is it? Balloon going pop or uh, going up in a balloon or I don't know, but there is a fear of balloons and there's, there's the well-known fears of heights and spiders and snakes and the dark and all these things, but there are, there are a thousand and one other fears and phobias that there are, aren't there? And do you know, brothers and sisters, it's so comforting when we come to the word of God, isn't it? Because we see there that fear is really, really common. If it were not, why are there 33 occasions in the Bible where these exact words are found? Which exact words? You know the words I'm about to say? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Welcome back, Dave and Sheila, to our congregation. We read these precise words across the whole sweep of of Old Testament history. Do not be afraid. In connection with Jacob and Joseph and Joshua and Samuel and David and Solomon and Elijah and Elisha and Jehoshaphat and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Nehemiah. In connection with all of these lives, the words do not be afraid are found. Then we find them again in the New Testament, don't we? We hear the words, do not be afraid, spoken by angels in nativity scenes, spoken by the Lord Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee, spoken on the morning of the resurrection, spoken to the Apostle Paul on his missionary travels. Now maybe you know one or two people who claim to be without fear, who don't have a fearful or anxious bone in their body, but there aren't many people like that, are there? And those who say they are, are probably covering up a whole lot of fears and insecurities (coughs) that lurk underneath. We can certainly say that when we come to the Bible, and when we come to Christian history, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by a great cloud of what William Cooper calls fearful saints. And he himself was a fearful saint. Big time, wasn't he? And then we learn that our fears, our anxieties, and our worries, they're not unusual. They're not peculiar. They're not outlandish. They're not weird. They're the common experience of God's people throughout history. Are you a fearful saint? Join the club of every other fearful saint that there ever was. When I am afraid, yes, often we are afraid. And let me then come on to a second point, not quite in the text, but just changing one word. Why I am afraid. Why I am afraid. We're in Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. So let's come and look at David himself, the man who wrote this psalm. Why was he afraid? What might his fears have in common with yours and mine? Well, we don't need to look very far into the psalm to work out why David was afraid. We're told in the very superscription, as it's called, to the psalm, these words in capital letters that come before uh, verse 1. And let me say again, these are part of the very text of the Bible. 
What do we read there? To the choir master, according to the dove on far-off terebinths, a miktam of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. What a miktam was, we don't really know. But it's interesting. What's the title of this? What's the, perhaps the musical category of this psalm? According to the dove on far-off terebinths. That's in itself, I think, quite revealing, quite significant. David felt himself to be like a lonely dove in a faraway, unfamiliar, and unwelcoming place. He was in an alien environment. He was down and out and far away from home. He was away from familiar and loving sights and sounds and faces and voices. And this made David afraid. Mighty and strong man though he was, the slayer of his tens of thousands though he was. And isn't it true of you and me that very often in life our own fears relate to what is strange, unfamiliar, different, new, What's happening to me? I don't know these people. I don't know this place. I don't know this language. I don't know this culture. I don't know what's happening to me. I don't understand my, my condition of health right now. I don't know why things have changed. I don't know how to cope in this new job with this new responsibility. It's all new. I feel far away from where I'm comfortable. And we know what that feels like. And where was David on this occasion? Well, we read he was in the city of Gath. Gath. Why is Gath famous? Well, Gath is the city of the Philistines where their great champion Goliath had come from, you remember, whom David had slain with sling and stone. But that must have seemed such a long time ago now. The days when David was a confident youth who was able to strike down Goliath, that's all gone. His courage seems to have deserted him. The Philistines have seized him now. He's under their control. But it gets even worse than this, doesn't it? If you know anything about David's life story. What is David doing in Gath? Why has he gone to the place where his enemies might be found? Well, if we were to turn back to the first book of Samuel and chapter 21, we would read that David had gone to Gath quite deliberately to flee from his archenemy, King Saul, who was still trying to pursue David and to kill him. And David comes to the point where he thinks and concludes he's actually safer with the Philistines than in the land of Israel. And the commentator on the Psalms, Derek Kidner, calls this the courage of despair. It's the last resort. It's the last straw. It's option Z, part three, as it were. Never more desperate, never more afraid, never more desolate than this, driven from my own land into the arms of those who have been my sworn enemies. And now they've seized me. And this also is true of you and me, isn't it? 
the experiences that we go through and have gone through can contribute to our fear. Things have been so hard and painful for me. Will it get any better? Will this continue? Will it get worse? What if this people, if these people imprison me and, and hurt me and, and even kill me? And we see David opening wide his emotions in verse 8. He says there that you have, you've kept count of my, my tossings. He might mean there my, my wanderings around, my, my going round in circles in my mind. Or he might indeed mean his tossing and turning in bed, unable to rest, unable to sleep, fear, anxiety, gnawing away at him through the night. You've put, he says, my tears in your bottle. Now, of course, it's a great comfort for David to know that God does put his tears into his bottle. But the focus here is on just how many tears David has cried. David is a man of great and deep emotion. It's the same David who says in Psalm 6, I'm weary with my moaning. Every night... I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. And this grief and pain of David is all bound up with his fear. When I am afraid, it's been so bad. What's going to happen next? Maybe it's time to ask the question, what is fear? What is fear? The Cambridge Online Dictionary defines fear like this. An unpleasant emotion or thought that you have when you are frightened or worried by something dangerous, painful, or bad that might happen. Yes, dangerous, painful, bad things happen to us. They affect us. They leave their mark on us. We're creatures of flesh and blood after all, aren't we? Never let it be said to you that when you become a Christian, you somehow rise above this human realm of emotions. And emotions are somehow unworthy things for Christians to experience. It's a kind of Eastern mysticism which says that emotions are beneath us. It's not true at all. Here in David is a man of raw emotion. Here is a man of flesh and blood and tears. Here is a man like our Lord Jesus Christ. He knew what it was to grieve and to weep, to be in pain, to be afraid. We have memories of the past. We have a sense of the future. But there's one thing we should particularly see in terms of why David is afraid. A large part of this psalm deals with David's human enemies. He talks about men who, who trample on him. You notice that. Uh, look at verse, well, verse 1. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. Many attack me proudly. And uh, the word trample here could actually be translated pant 
It may sound different, but it could mean that they're, they're like ravenous wolves and they're, they're pursuing David and they're, they're panting after him and their tongues are hanging out and they're, they're hungry, they're wanting to devour him. David's human enemies. And if you look at all of these psalms in the 50s, from 52 to 59, you see that David's human enemies are never very far from view and they are often the immediate cause of his fear. And let me just make this very important point right now. A very significant part of your fear and mine, is this true of you, I wonder, is fear of other people. Fear of other human beings. It's a huge area. And we'll come back to it again. I don't want to say much more about that tonight only to say we will come back to it in the future. But our fear of people can be rational or completely irrational. It can be a physical fear. I remember being physically terrified of certain school bullies when I was a a wee young lad. Absolutely. It can be a social fear. It can be a general fear of people or a very specific fear. It can rise up when we're with certain people in their presence or it can be when we are home and we're alone and we're thinking about people and who we've got to talk to the next day. Fear of man can inhibit and paralyze us and make us absolutely silent or it can make us blurt things out and say and do what is really unwise. The fear of people is a very significant and disabling factor in the lives of many Christians. To what extent, I wonder, has your life and mine been marred and thwarted and spoiled and made miserable by a fear of other people? I wonder. And with that in mind especially, we come to my final point. And really this this is the answer to this fear because we see the words of verse 4. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. Or if you want a heading for this third point, it's the end of verse 3. I put my trust in you. Verse 3 and 4 again. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And then do you notice how in verses 10 and 11, there's a very similar refrain, very similar words. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? The biblical remedy for fear, and particularly for the fear of people, is to trust in God. It's as simple as that. And do you notice how in verse, uh, in verse 4 and in verse 11, Although they are so very similar, David changes the vocabulary somewhat. The end of verse 4, he says, what can flesh do to me? And then in verse 11, he says, 
what can man do to me? And it's very important to see that comparison because what is man? What is, what are people? What are human beings? They are flesh. Flesh. And what does the word flesh mean in this context? Well, one Hebrew dictionary uh, puts it like this. Flesh here means man over against God as frail or erring. What does that mean? Man over against God. Man, humanity, unlike God, are frail and erring. And it's especially this idea of frailty that we should remember. The most powerful, the most frightening, the most influential, the most fear-inducing men and women and people that we've ever come across are flesh. And they're frail. And that means that they are temporary. They are ignorant. They're of limited power. They can only do so much to us. That's why we read from Isaiah 40 at the beginning, because Isaiah says, all flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The most awe-inducing, fear-inducing people in the world with all the power that they boast in are nothing more than flesh, which is grass. And David's remedy, when he feels himself to be overwhelmed by fear and worry and apprehension of what people might do to him, is to do what? To look at God by comparison with his human enemies. And then to realize that ultimately there is no comparison. There is no competition. When it comes to strength, power, wisdom, longevity, righteousness, goodness, and everything else, what is human flesh compared to almighty and eternal God? That's the solution. That's the remedy. David says to himself, and we must say to ourselves as well, these people, they want me to cower in their presence. They want me to be afraid of them. They want me to change my behavior and to kowtow to them and dance to their tune. But who are they? They are as nothing compared to Almighty God, who is my Savior, my Deliverer, my Rock, my Strength. These people don't know the future. They are powerless and they are ignorant and they are nothing and less than nothing compared to the God who is with his own people. That's what we need to do. Back in the 16th century, in the days of the Reformation, the reformers of uh, what was then the Holy Roman Empire and the Netherlands as well, they put together the Heidelberg Catechism. Catechism of the Reformed Church of what, what is now Germany and other parts of uh, Western Europe. And it's a most warm, uh, 
personal pastoral catechism. And it's best known for its first question and its first answer. And some of you, many of you will know the question and know the answer, but I will share it with you. What is your only comfort in life and in death? What is your only comfort in life and in death? Here's the answer. It's quite long, but it's wonderful. That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. And then these words in particular I've highlighted in my own notes to emphasize. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What did our Lord Jesus Christ say to his disciples? A greater one than King David. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. What did Martin Luther write as he looked at the great struggle before him and saw all the harm that the enemies of the church were trying to, trying to bring about? And he wrote, you remember this hymn, which finishes with these words. Though they take our life, goods, honor, profit, wife, Yet is their profit small. These things shall vanish all. The city of God remaineth. The only solution, the only remedy for fear, and especially the fear of human beings, is the trust in God. And do you see how David comes to a triumphant conclusion in this psalm? This psalm where he has begun with fear and where he's shed his tears, but he ends with joyful confidence, as we see in verse 13. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David has begun in a dark dungeon. David has begun, as it were, with chains around his arms and a blindfold over his eyes. David has been seen in this psalm sleeping on a pillow that is drenched with his tears and bottles filled with his tears from his weeping. David's fears have been laid bare. Oh, yes, there's no pretense with David, is there? The servants of God don't say uh, with a stiff upper lip, I'm doing quite all right, when they're not. 
Oh, no, they admit when they are struggling big time, as David was. But David isn't staying there. He's not staying in the dungeon, on the tear-drenched couch, and in the place of fear. No, he puts his trust in God, and he's taken on a journey from darkest dungeon to brightest, elevated mountaintop. How did he get there? By trusting in God. By remembering his promises. By personally appropriating them. By viewing all of his circumstances, particularly his hardships, his sufferings, and his fears, his fears, in the light of the God who has already saved his soul from death. As a family, we've been reading for a few weeks Jerry Bridges, the late Jerry Bridges, his work on respectable sins. And uh, one respectable sin that Bridges mentions is unthankfulness. He also mentions discontent and others we've looked at. And uh, he says, God's great aim for our life is to conform us to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that it? That's what God's doing for you, to make you more like Jesus till you are as Jesus. And the fears that you pass through and the hardships that you know are not terrible tragedies and mistakes that have just fallen into your lap from nowhere. No, they are part of the love and purpose and plan and goodness of a God who is with his people, who leads us the way that David was led, who takes us from fear to wonderful encouragement. That's where we are going. So let's pray together. Oh Lord our God, as we think about one another as this body of Christ, we think about friends and brothers and sisters who are here and those who are not here. Oh Lord, we think about those passing through fears and alarms and terrors and uncertainties. Lord our God, please lead every one of your people through the valley of the shadow of death. Lead us all through these dark places. Make us assured of your comfort and your closeness. Help us all to cast our burdens upon you and to trust you. O Lord our God, we are all fearful saints. We fear in so many ways. We are so mixed up inside. O Lord, many of our fears come because of our weak, frail, and yes, our our sinful uh, uh, characters that we still have. But Lord God, be with every one of your children. Be a father to us. And help us and comfort us each day as we walk with you. We pray all this now in our Saviour's name. Amen. Let's sing our final hymn now and uh, stir each other up in.